Good morning, Northwestern. Oh, okay, you can do better than that. You're not asleep yet, I hope. Good morning, Northwestern. That's much better. My name is David Fenwick. I'm a dean in student life. And I'm the director of the Act 6 Leadership Scholarship Program. Um, we want to pray for Justin today. Pastor Justin is sick, so I'm kind of filling him as the MC today. Uh, this week has been about uh, justice, and so I'm going to introduce our panel minute. We wanted to bring the discussion to the group here, so to speak. So we're going to have a panel with a discussion. We've all, um, this last year, this fall, attended two conferences on justice. A group of us went to Chicago to participate in the Justice Weekend program with Mission Year. And then a couple of weeks ago, I think it was about two weeks ago, I think, we went to Christ Church in Edina, Transform Minnesota, the Evangelical Network here in the Twin Cities, hosted a justice conference called Do Justice, Hope for Reconciliation and Restoration. Our own Dr. Ken Young was one of the keynote speakers along with Brian Stevenson. So we've been thinking and talking a lot about justice. We thought it'd be uh, really helpful to share what we've been thinking about and digesting over the last few weeks and months. So I'm gonna introduce our panel. Next to me on my right is Parker Thibodeau, um, then Stephanie Lopez, Tana Cano, and Katie St. John. Thank you very much. Let's give it up for so I'm going to throw out a question first just to kind of get our discussion started to share a little of your own story about your understanding of God's heart for justice. From your own experience, what's, what's your story of your journey? And anybody can go first. Don't be shy. Okay, so I believe that the journey of pursuing, or the journey of understanding God's heart of justice is a never-ending journey. And I feel like in order to enhance that journey, we have to lean in and seek Him. And so that's something that I, I really realized that I wasn't really doing um, as our guest speaker, Bethany, was speaking these last two days. Something that really stood out to me was when she said yesterday that the first thing we had to do is stop and realize that at the end of the day and always, God is in control. And Katie once told me that God doesn't need us for his will to be done. And so I feel like that's something really important to realize when it comes to doing justice work because from my personal experience, I, so in this last election cycle, um, with the midterm elections, I was working on two political campaigns, and it can be very draining and very tiring work because there's many times where you'll have conversations with people that don't really understand why you're doing what you're doing, and not only that, but you'll encounter very disrespectful people, and there's many times where I've, I've encountered racist people, and it's just, there were times too where like, I would just kind of like lose it and like cry because of a sense of hopelessness. And so a couple weeks ago in one of the conferences that I went to, I heard a saying that said that the biggest enemy of hope is hopelessness. And I feel like that's something really important to remember when it comes to doing justice work because having that feeling of hopelessness when it comes to justice work is not the best thing to feel because you feel like 
whatever, like everything you're doing, there's no point in it because nothing's going to change. So that's something that really just stood out to me as Bethany was speaking these last two days and something that is, I know it's going to enhance my journey of continuing to understand the God of justice. And something that she said was being with the God of justice before starting the work of justice. So I'm excited to see how that's going to change my perspective and change the way I continue to do justice in my community. Um, I think that a big part of my journey of understanding what justice is um, kind of starts with like how I viewed politics growing up. I know that growing up, anytime I heard anything that had to do with politics, um, it always felt um, set apart from God. And I remember like my parents would talk about something they saw on Fox News or CNN and um, they would talk about elections and they'd talk about big things and I just felt like it was really like worldly. Like I felt like it was um, not of God. And I think my biggest, like the biggest piece in my journey of figuring out what justice means and what it is, is realizing that it is completely of Christ. It is very much in Christ. Um, and I think learning and understanding that justice is very gospel-minded and kingdom-minded, and as I've like looked in the Bible, like I've seen that so much, um, and like learning that it's about doing God's work for people, it's not necessarily, although it does affect and it does touch what we would call politics, um, it is much more of an issue that I think all of us in this room can relate to than we think it is. Um, I think another thing that I've had to learn about justice is, as Christians, it's so easy to think of it as missional, which is super important and very valuable. But I think growing up in the church and in Sunday school and um, in Awana and like all of those things, I pictured justice as like going across the ocean and um, feeding the hungry. And that is so valuable and that is so beautiful and that is so part of what God wants us to do. But what about the person sitting next to you? Like, you can do justice in conversation by making eye contact and by listening. You can do justice every day right here in our school by holding a door, by looking at someone, by choosing to see someone. And so I think taking what I've always thought as being kind of an out there issue and bringing it in and funneling it into my life and to this campus has kind of really shaped my perspective of what justice is. Um, my journey for learning about God's heart for justice probably didn't start until I got to college, actually. Um, I grew up um, in predominantly white like neighborhoods, schools, et cetera, et cetera. So um, when topics of injustice would come up, they were kind of brushed to the side, similar to what Katie was saying. Um, but it wasn't until I got to Northwestern, I actually met a couple people who were um, really educated and really passionate about social justice and God's heart for it. Um, they really inspired me to kind of look into that and delve deeper into scripture and really understand what that means and what it means for God to have a heart for social justice and for people. Um, yeah, so it's not as long and elaborate as everybody else. But. Um, I think my journey started uh, with justice my senior year with the election, presidential election. Um, just coming from like a Latino home, seeing a lot of hate that was coming toward, not to my family, in gen or not my family, but just like the Latino community in general. And it just, um, 
I felt like there wasn't a lot of compassion, and I feel like with justice comes love and compassion. Even though you might not understand that person's story or you know walk the same shoes, you still can be like genuine and compassionate towards people. And so I think that's how my journey started, just seeing like a lot of hate and wanting to bring um, love and compassion towards people that were unheard and marginalized. For me, my journey started in college. I have no recollection at any time. It may have happened, but I don't remember any sermon lessons in Sunday school about justice when I was going to church growing up. And then my junior year of college, I was filling in my Bible courses and I had one slot open that I needed a Bible class and the only one that fit was an elective. In social justice, it was my junior year. We read this book by Martin Luther King called Strength to Love. And um, a couple years ago, I shared in chapel, it was around Martin Luther King Day, that um, one of my first memories when I was a little kid is when Martin Luther King died, I think I was about four, and my mother was watching the news and said, good riddance, he was a communist anyway. And my parents actually got into a fight about that. And then I'm in college and I read this book and it just rocked my world. Um, I said, this sounds like the Jesus I know in scripture. And that, I think, began my conscious journey to say, if God's work is about restoring what's broken in the world, this work of justice, what's my part in it? How do I walk with God um, in this journey of justice to transform the world the way God intends it to? That began my journey. Sometimes, like you were saying, Katie, it's, we think about justice as something we do out there on, across the ocean or in another country. But what about for all of us here, where do you see injustice in your community, both here and at home? What are some examples where you see injustice a little closer to us? Because we often think of it as over there, but right here in our own communities. Well, sorry, you guys. Uh, um, I would say in my community, I would say an injustice is having to feel, having to make other people feel comfortable so that I can be safe. Um, so like if I'm driving in a car and I see a police officer, I shouldn't have to feel uncomfortable just because of the color of my skin, right? Or if I am walking into a store, I shouldn't feel like I have to keep my hands to my sides and make sure I'm super polite and super just basically a statue to make sure everybody feels like I'm not stealing anything that I'm not gonna do anything. Um, here in my community at Northwestern, I would say some injustices are assuming that me and my friends are here only to play basketball, that we're not here on an academic scholarship or we're not here to study chemistry or biology or something like that, or walking toward a locked building and, and knocking and having somebody kind of look back and ignore me acting like they didn't see me, or um, just kind of things like that. So. Um, I think for my community or like the Latino community, a lot of injustice is like people not speaking up for people that are trying to come over, like refugees and just seeing like a lot of hate towards that and like a lot of like, oh, it's too political or this and that, but you know, there's families and so, well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So just seeing like a lot of injustice with that and seeing like having my sister, a seven-year-old, grow up and asking me why the president hates her is like a tough thing to deal with. And how do you explain to a girl why um, like a society or a party doesn't like her just because she's Mexican-American or Colombian-American? When I think of injustice, I think of my community and I think of local government and how systematic our local government can be, or just our government in general, but um, 
I have had experience and I've been exposed to local government and I've been out in my community and I've seen the divide between, to be honest, people of color and white people and how the government caters differently to different people groups. So when I think of injustice, I think of local government. Stephanie, I have a question for you. We were talking yesterday and you mentioned about education. What would be an example of that in our state where we see injustice around that issue? Yeah, so to add on to all like the statistics that are like here in Minnesota, so like, uh, like Bethany was talking yesterday how human trafficking is a, it's a big deal here in our state. Um, but also to add on to that, our gaps and our disparities and our inequities are the biggest in the nation um, here in our state. And so we can talk about the education gap, we can talk about the wage gap, and how, how much of a disparity and inequity it is here in our state. Um, and even to like answer your question, um, in my city, there is a huge divide in our school district, and you can see it as you go like along this street, and you can see like the high school that I went to, I went to a public school, and it's a very diverse school, and we, we're not really funded very well, and you go across this, or not across the street, but down the road, and you'll see the city next to us that's in the same district. That's, it's a very nice school. They have a lot of resources, a lot of things that the school that I came from doesn't have. And so when I think of injustice, I think of something like that. And edu the education gap is something really big in general. Yeah, I think that's a close one to home. So we have Minnesota is always at the tops for standardized scores and our, our quality of our schools in Minnesota. We're always way at the top. But we also have the biggest gap based on race in the country between academic standards for or, or achievement for whites and, and students of color. That's an, that's an issue that can be solved. And so I think of a time when, when um, we're funding a stadium in downtown Minneapolis for a billionaire owner of a football team, and we don't have enough money, so the state is taking money from public schools to fund and cutting their budgets from the state budget, yet funding at the state level, the county level, and the city level a stadium that cost over a billion dollars for a, for a billionaire owner of a football team, and yet we don't have enough money to fund our schools. We're laying off teachers a few years ago. That's an act of injustice that I would think about. That's closer to home a little bit. Katie, do you have anything to add? Um, I think something that I have really learned and God has just, man, pressed on my heart um, to be very convicting in my own personal life. Um, like, I've grown up in white communities, and so like I lived in Fargo, North Dakota for like seven years, um, and I went to a pretty well-off like high school in Maple Grove, Minnesota, um, that was almost completely white. Um, and I think one thing that I've, one injustice that I've really noticed is um, how in our education system and our environments um, as white people how we are very much trained to see the things that we, like the way that we do. Um, and that's not to excuse um, some, some pretty harsh realities of racism in our country, that's not to excuse that, but I would also venture to say that I see um, the way that we're taught about things, the way that we're taught about how um, like the Europeans immigrated here and the way that we're taught about Thanksgiving the way that we're talked about slavery, the way that we are taught about Malcolm X, the way that we are talked about Martin Luther King Jr. 
Um, there's a lot of inaccuracies there. And so I would say that a big injustice that I have seen is um, with the education system and also media, I'd say media plays a huge part as of right now, especially with our government. Um, so for instance, you turn on Fox and you see something completely different than you see on CNN and vice versa. And that's because I believe that media is um, in a way protecting the Americanized white view of what's going on in the world. And that applies to immigration, that applies to some serious things that are going on. For instance, if we're gonna talk about just a big issue, if we're gonna talk about the caravan that is, that is in our country and, and coming towards us, what we see and what we hear from media is violence and drugs. That's what we're told, but we're not told. We're not told about their humanity. We're not told about the fact that they are, in fact, image bearers of our king. We're not told about the fact that there's a mom with toddlers who is trying to do what's best for her children because of some things that America has done in their country. We're not taught about that. We're taught about the violence and the drugs and the drug cartels. We're taught about mass incarceration. We're taught about jail. We're taught about prison. We're taught about protection. We're taught that all lives matter, but we ignore some really important lives that are not being taught about, that are not being shared about. And so in my personal life of learning about injustice, it's been self-reflection. It's been learning that my whole life I've been told something that's not true about a black man. I've been told something that's not true about a caravan of people who just want what's best for their children. And so personally, I think that would be my journey with injustice. When, when I think of what you're, you all are saying, why do you, and talking about systemic justice or structural justice, why do you think it's so hard for us to see injustice sometimes? And I'm reflecting back, we went to the um, Do Justice Conference and something that Brian Stevenson said. What, about why it's so hard for us to see injustice around us and something we need to do so that we can better see it. Um, I would say that one of the biggest things I took away from that conference, was, which was just like incredible, um, was he said that what is most important, what is most important to racial like reconciliation is proximity. And that hit me really hard because like I talked about, um, even with the mindset of like evangelism and like missions going across the world to go fix a problem and then coming back, is that still doesn't, um, that, that doesn't cultivate proximity. Proximity is sitting in community and listening, leaning in, giving a hug, being close to seeing something. And, and so like when I was even, when we went to Chicago um, on our trip, something that I really noticed, just to be super honest with everyone in this room, is I was walking through the west side of Chicago and what would be seen is definitely not one of the nicest parts of Chicago. And I was walking down a street and I saw a black couple yelling at each other. And what I've been told my whole life, as I just mentioned, is violence and aggression and anger. But y'all, do you wanna know what they were saying? They were arguing about who loves each other the most. She was saying, no baby, I love you more. And he said, no, I love you more. They were fighting about love. But what I've been taught to see my whole life is hate. And what I've been taught to see my whole life is violence. But because I was close enough, because I was close enough to see what was really there, I was able to understand something that, 
that was almost like, it's uncomfortable. It sits in my soul as like, dang it, like I should have known this, but I don't. But I have to lean into that and allow myself to realize that I didn't know it. But because of proximity, I had the chance to know it. Because of relationship, because of hearing stories. I can guarantee if we sat down with somebody in the caravan and listened to their story, our lives would be completely changed. And our whole idea, our whole perspective that media and things that we're allowing ourselves to believe would be completely and utterly crushed. And I think what Brian said about that too is really important is to get in proximity to us requires us to be in relationship with others. That in doing so, in the context of relationships and hearing stories, our eyes to open to things that we cannot see. Um, or if you remember, some of you remember Jer Swigert, who was a graduate of Northwestern, was here last year and leads the Global Immersion Project. He talked about the first step in understanding injustice and acting to change it in God's name is to see it, but that requires proximity. You need to get close to injustice. Um, you need to get close to the people that are experiencing the brokenness in the world. That was really profound for me, too. The first step is proximity to get close. Either, any of the three of you had anything to add to that? Um, I think in addition to proximity, you need to make sure that you're being intentional about what you're doing and not, not trying to gain proximity and see people as a science project and treat them like a specimen under a microscope. Um, because when, you're, when you come at it from that perspective, people can tell the difference from when you're trying to develop a relationship and listen and understand where they're coming from as opposed to coming in with a checklist and saying, okay, let me see how to do this, how to do that. Because that's not very genuine and people can tell the difference between that. Um, and that's not reflective of what Christ would do. He sat down to people to listen, to communicate, to build relationships and be genuine with them. So. Why do you think it's so hard in that line is so hard for us to see justice as structural? We only see the personal, interpersonal. Do you have any ideas about that? Because sometimes it's really hard to see that, that it's in institutions and that. So we talk about the education system where I think um, I used to work at Augsburg College and a few years ago, some students were doing some research when the, um, they examined the title for the home the president lives in that's owned by Augsburg College. And in the deed um, was a requirement that that home couldn't sold, be sold to anybody that was a person of color. And so they began to do research and found tons of deeds that were built in a, the sale of home ownership that homes all around the Twin Cities couldn't be sold to people as a color. And they were written in, into the 50s. And it was legal to do that. And, that, and there was what was called redlining that said, the only place that black and brown people can buy homes is or live is in North Minneapolis. You know, that these are structures that are built into the systems that we have, and people often overlook those things. We don't understand why the brokenness we see in the world is the way it is, but it's not just personal, but it's built into our laws and systems too. And I think that can be really hard to see sometimes. What does justice look like on our campus? Do you have some examples where you can see justice at work or some change that's taken place. I'll go. Um, kind of going back to what you said before about why we don't see things as a system. Um, I think that we live in our Western society, we have a very individualistic mindset. Um, so we have a tendency to see things as not only focused on ourselves, but we tend to isolate an issue. So if there is, for example, let's just say if um, an unarmed black person gets shot, right? Um, the common thing that I often hear is, well, okay, not everyone's like that. It's not, it's not systemic, it's just this one thing. So my question would be, okay, how many one things does it have to be for it to be a system, you know what I mean? So um, I think that's a large part of it, is just that because we tend to be very individualistic in our thinking, and there are benefits to that, and there are benefits to um, westernization. 
Um, but I think also that we need to realize that there are also benefits to looking at things as a system, as a community, as especially as a body of Christ, if we claim to be a body of Christ and have unity and have community, that means listening to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we may not agree with, that we look differently than, um, in order to gain a better understanding and fix a problem that they see in their lives. And to add on to what Dr. Frederick was talking about, I think a lot of times, too, it has to do with the fact that it's important to realize that just because it's like a federal law or a local law, it doesn't mean it's just or moral. And so I think that's, a lot of times that's why we overlook a lot of our systemic issues because it's, it's in the system and many times there are laws. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and I'm thinking about what Katie said too about when we think about what's happening um, south of the border to us, that it's things like our own public policy and foreign policy in the United States towards Central America that's created some of the conflict and trouble that's going on there now that we supported dictators who are now in office that are perpetuating injustice and causing people to flee for their lives. That it's our own actions as individuals, but as a state too, as a country, that has created this conflict. And sometimes we're not aware of those things. We miss the systemic nature of it um, that's built into our own foreign policy or our own laws or things like that. So to bring it a little closer to home, can you think of some examples of where you've seen justice take place on campus? things where change or maybe change needs to take place? Um, well, for all honest, there's a lot of change that needs to be done. But um, one thing that really stood out to me this year is the Sp Spanish Praise Chapel that we had two weeks ago. And for like probably most of you, that probably just seemed like a really small thing. But for like people of color or the Latino community on campus, that's a big thing because a lot of us on the weekends go home to our church and it's only Spanish speaking. And so when we worship, it's in Spanish. And for you guys, every day you come in here and you hear your songs in English and you hear like your rhythm and you know, it's just, it's very comforting for you to come in here and hear your own music. So even though it like might've seen a minor thing for us, it meant a lot because we could like go back home or not home, but like go back to our comfort space and like finally hear songs that are, are in our language and that are spoken in our home. Um, Honestly, just the fact that we have a week of biblical justice in chapel, I think that's really big. And just having the opportunity to be up here and talk to the Northwestern community about something that is personally very, like, something I'm very passionate about, that's something that I see as justice because it's giving us a platform to speak to the rest of the student body. Um, I would say, yeah, kind of what both of you said, like the Spanish Worship Chapel, and then also just to have this opportunity. Um, I would also say that like table talks have been really, really cool. Um, having some pretty tough but really great conversation. Um, and I think in any situation, having really tough but good conversation is what really breaks down barriers. Um, and I think that even like I can pretty much guarantee that any one of us after this panel would be happy to talk to any one of you. Um, and like we mean that and we'd appreciate that if you'd want to talk to us um, or anybody else that you think is a good idea to talk to on campus. Um, I just think that I've seen more openness and willingness for conversation. Um, and I've seen God doing that in my own life, but also in like the lives here at Northwestern. And I think that's a really big step. So. Um, yeah, similar to what Katie was saying, I think I've just seen a lot more intentionality from students and faculty, which is really cool. 
because um, as students we have a lot of power, so it's cool to see my peers support um, efforts to create justice and uh, make other people feel valued. But also on a level from faculty, it's cool to see people who have um, a bit more like higher up power to do things also. Um, and kind of going off of having people um, like be more receptive, like Katie was saying, um, we had a meeting yesterday and Justin was saying that if something kind of makes you kind of like rear back, um, you should take that as, a, as an invitation to kind of lean in and kind of um, just take a step back and listen to what the people are saying and think about why they make you feel uncomfortable. Um, and I've been seeing that a lot more on campus. I've been seeing people initiate conversations with people that they think might disagree with them. I've been seeing people make themselves uncomfortable so that they can learn a different perspective. Um, and I've seen more opportunities like the Spanish Praise Chapel or like how we had um, the Multicultural Worship Night for Orientation and stuff like that. And that was like completely different from when I came in four years ago. Um, so it's really dope to see the progression of things like that over the years. Thank you very much. Why um, Sarah and Chandler come up to lead us in our closing song. I'd like to read a passage of scripture from Luke chapter one. It's appropriate in this Advent season that we're in is to think what were those that are part of the Christmas story looking forward to as they were thinking about the coming of the Messiah. And this story comes from Luke chapter one. It's when Mary and Elizabeth meet. And hear the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, what her hope is that she sees in the coming of the Messiah. She says, oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and now generation after generation will call me blessed. For he, the mighty one, is holy, and he has done great things for me. His mercy goes from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things, and he scatters the proud and the haughty ones. He has taken princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things to eat and sent the rich away with empty hands. And how he has helped his servant Israel. He has not forgotten his promise to be merciful. It's a song of justice. And may we be thinking about this during this Advent season, that the good news of Christ is that God wants to transform the world and bring his justice to a broken world.